Let us pray. Dear Father, gracious Lord, thank you for giving us this time. Let me continue to learn on your word, Lord, that you have um, preserved our faith in you, Lord, and that we will continue to learn more and go closer to you, Lord, and that may you watch over us, that we may have an open heart and open mind, Lord, that we may be able to listen to your word and action upon our hearts, that we may never forget it until your kingdom come. Um... You know, we pray that you continue to watch over us even after our night devotion is over, Lord, and um, that we'll continue to praise you. In Jesus' most precious name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, let's start. Uh, we're reading a passage first, as usual. John chapter 6, verses 22 to 33. And today we're going to zoom in to look at verses 28 to 30. You will see um, Jesus' reply. In fact, Jesus... Yeah, Jesus replied to the question which, sorry, the, the, the crowd's question towards Jesus. Jesus replies to the crowd and the crowd's throwing another question at Jesus which seems rather interesting, a very interesting question that was asked by the crowd. So we look at this three, uh, this little discourse between Jesus and the, and the crowd. We will not finish the discourse, of course, because the discourse go on for a while, but we will zoom in on these three verses specifically for today. So let us read together, first of all. John chapter 6, verses 22 to 33. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that he has, but his disciple had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Sorry. Uh, I hope this is better. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, if it's too soft, you guys can remind me again. Hey, sorry, uh, we'll continue uh, with verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when do you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your few of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So shall we through verses 28 to 30 again and we're going to zoom in to look at these three verses. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? That uh, What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So as so we start off with verse 28, 
you see this very interesting conversation that the crowd started, started with Jesus once again. Now they are asking this question, what must we do to be doing the works of Christ? There was a bit of a conversation between them and Jesus starting to question about Jesus, starting to look to Jesus for answers. Now, the way they ask this question is rather interesting because there's two ways that we may look at this question. Some might look at this question and say that, well, this group of this group of crowd, they are trying to be cheeky with Jesus. And they're just trying to trick Jesus into answering something wrong, hoping he that, that he will answer him wrongly. You know, just as how if you look on further in verses 41 and 40, it says here, sorry, uh, 41 and 42, it says here, so the Jews grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph's father and mother, we know? How does he now say, I come from heaven? So some people might think that the crowd here are like the Jewish leaders. You know, they want to stumble the Jesus. They want to see where Jesus can slip up and find a place to attack Jesus. Now that's normal. I mean, as we have mentioned before, the group that was following Jesus, that might be Jews and them. And there could be such people who were there wanting to see Jesus tripped up and fail. It's perfectly understandable. However, if you look on further, we may actually see that their question might be quite genuine. You know, they just they didn't really ask, just ask how or what must they do. But they also go on to saying, to ask, what signs does it follow? How does it how does he prove that whatever he has spoken was true? And also make a further request in verse 34 that they want this bread from Jesus. So we see that there is that genuine, genuineness from this crowd towards Jesus. That is, comparably speaking to the Jews, it is much better. They wanted to know, they know what they crave for, they wanted to see what Jesus have in store for them. We see Jesus' graciousness here, right here. He's gracious toward this group of people to allow them to ask questions to Jesus. It's rather interesting about this conversation that Jesus allowed them to ask. Because if you were to look further, you'll understand that this question itself does not make sense to be asked. But nonetheless, Jesus was willing to give them this ability to ask this question and to answer this question. Now, what is interesting here? is that this group of people, this crowd, understood something. They aim to do something great. And instead of looking among themselves, they look beyond it. They ask the question, how to, they ask the question, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Their aim was high. Their expectations were high. They were looking on high with expectation and to hope to enjoy the glory of God. And so what about us as Christians? Are we asking ourselves such questions? What must we do that we may be doing the works of God? That we may look to God to say that this is what pleases God. And so we sense a bit of the genuineness from this group of people right here, from this group of crowds. They were genuine in seeking God. They were genuine asking this question. In this slight opportunity, slight window of goodness, they have asked a correct question. They have asked a relatively better question compared to all those conversations, all those questions that they had before. They wanted to study 
know the works of God, which is the works that is required and the works that which will be accepted by God Himself. And this is something else for us to think about more. What are the works that God accepts? What is the work that God will accept from us? What does God want from us? It's not so much of what God needs of us, but what God wants from us. So we should think about that also when, when we live our life on this earth. You see, the pursuit for them is the correct one. It's not any worldly pursuit any longer, but it is the holy pursuit of the work of God. It is not enough to only speak of the word of God, but what is more important is to work for God to do the labor for God. And so this is for us as Christians, you know, it's easy for us to constantly speak of the word. We can talk about the word, we can share with the word with people, we can remember verses, etc, etc, etc. Those are good. But, what's the point? If you're not going to live our life as what we preach. You know, I remember I saw this video of a, of a young of a young boy, very young, about six or seven years old. He was capable of quoting verses to people. I think it's wonderful. But when people question him, what does the verses mean? He didn't understand. He listened to it, but he never understood what it means. And so the next question comes up, does he live out what he preaches? Does he live out what he says? Is he living as a Christian? This is a question for us to ponder a bit more about. This is something that we miss in our own life that we can learn from this group of crops here. Do we work or do we speak only? Now, they must be willing to do anything. See, this group of people was willing to do more or less anything. What must we do? They were asking this question. Lord, I'm ready to do whatever you shall appoint to me, though ever so displeasing to the flesh and the blood. This is something that we need to think about also. And I always share with you guys that there's a lot of things in this world, especially Christian things we hate to read. We don't like to read the Bible. We don't like to see ourselves down to meditate on the Bible. We don't like to read spiritual books. We don't like any of them. And that is perfectly normal. But is it right? See, in the Christian worldview, in the Christian faith, in the religion itself, what we strive to do is to please God. And pleasing God more often than not, goes against the desires of our flesh. The spirit hates the world of the flesh. The works of the flesh hates the spirit. And so they are always in constant conflict with one another. So it's something for us to think a bit more about. You know, it's something for us to really contemplate about. Are we settling with just working the things of the world? Are we setting our desire higher? to look at God himself and ask ourselves this question, what must we do to please God? Then the question, what must we do to please ourselves? Look beyond all these things. Look beyond the things that you're willing to do and do the things that pleases God. That is a plea that I play with each and every single one of us our youth here today. Sit yourself down, read the scriptures, for it is the duty of a Christian. Whether you like it or not, this is our obligation as Christians. We will start to love it once we start to do it. We will only understand the full joy. We will, be on, we will only be able to taste that part of heaven when we start doing spiritual things 
when we start living out our life as Christians. So it's something for us to think about. Are we, as much as we should, are we trying this? Are we asking this question, what must we do to be doing the works of God? To be doing what is righteous in the sight of God. Now, Christ's answer to their question was plain and simple. This is the work of God that you must do, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Now, this right here, this very statement already presupposes that everybody seated there, or most people seated there generally do not believe in Him, or at least they do not believe or understand Jesus in the right way. As we have seen before, they came here because they saw signs. They came here because they ate their few, but they did not believe in Christ whom God has sent. And so, you see, as mentioned before, the whole purpose of John is to show us who Christ is so that we may believe in Him. And so this is the charge that Jesus Himself brings across to this group of people right here. They do not believe in Jesus Christ Himself. The work of faith is the work of God. The work of believing is, in, is the work of God. Realize something here. When we look back at verse 28, we see that the word, the word work is works. It's in the plural form. They ask what are the things that they should do of God? What are the things that they should do? Now, they are to be careful of many things. They wanted to know what are this, all these things that they should be working for. But Jesus' reply was direct and simple. The work the singular tense, the work you must do is to believe in Jesus Christ. Directs to them the works which includes all things. The one thing that they need is to believe. Which suppresses all the works of the ceremonial law and the work which is necessary to be to the acceptance of all other works. This is the basis of the works of everything else. It is the work of God. And without faith, nothing is able to please God. You see, as we mentioned before, this group of crowds following Jesus, they are Jews within it. What's the understanding of the Jews? Do this, do that, do everything. Keep the Ten Commandments, keep the ceremonial law. Some of them will even continue to keep the civil law. That's the understanding of the Jews keeping the works of God. That is the understanding of everyone in this world to keep the work of God. How do I please God? Well, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to give more money to God. I need to come here to pray more often. I need to do this. I need to do that. But that is not what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus calls us to have faith in Him. And the very basis of us having faith in Him is where we build our, all our other works upon. The only ways and the only means that God will be pleased with any of our works today, whether it be our study, be our actual occupations, be whatever. Is it based on the faith of Christ? Do we believe in Christ in the first place before we even go out there and do the works? And if we believe Christ, will it not then affect the way we work in our life? That every time we make a decision, every time we sit for an exam, all we think about is Christ and His death 
for us on the cross. He came here to save us from the distorted world. That the gospel is present in and throughout our life. That is the most important thing any of our words is based upon about our conversations with our friends, trying to convert our friends, trying to preach the gospel to our friends, are these based upon the rightful faith in Christ Jesus himself in the first place. The faith is the work of God which close with Christ and relies upon him. It is to believe on him as one with God whom he has sent. It is to believe in Christ whom he has sent. The understanding of the deity of Christ, the understanding of God's commission of Christ, that the peace between God and man is on Christ. He reigns in us. He rules over us. So, the contemplation is there and the question is there for us to think. Where is Christ in our life? Do we believe in Christ? Do we work so hard for getting Christ? Where is Christ in our own life? Before we want to sin, before we go into the temptation of sinning, is Christ there with us? Are we contemplating upon Him? Are we thinking of Him? And this is the most important thing that I wish for all of us in our youth to remember. Remember the Lord in the days of your youth before evil day comes when you will be swept away by the woe, by all the understanding and the knowledge of this woe, by their wisdom, by their teaching, you will be swept away my concern is for you guys. Where is Christ in your life? Where is the one whom God has sent in your life? You see, this group of people do not understand. Because we see in their next question towards Jesus, they ask him, they say to him, What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And then you see that the next line, this is why they have this question. Because when Moses himself proclaimed, in fact, when any prophets proclaim their, their, their office as a prophet, you know, their rights to be a prophet, they will show signs and wonders. They will show that God has sent them. They will prove that God has sent them. This is basically standard throughout the Bible itself. We see that through all of the prophets. Because in fact, if you don't, if you don't prove yourself, if you are incapable of showing that God has sent you, well, you are a heretic. <laughs> you are a false prophet. And the Old Testament, by the Old Testament law, you should be stoned. Simple as that. And so, it's, it's, it is understandable that they themselves has asked this question because they took Moses as an example here in verse 31, asking, how do they, how do they prove? Where's your proof? Jesus, where's your proof? Now we see there's something very interesting here. Judging by the time of this description of this story, they had just received a miracle one day ago. Just yesterday, Jesus fed them with food. They themselves should have seen the bread and seen the fishes. And in fact, if we were to look even before this, when, when they first started following Christ, what were they here for? They were here because they saw the signs of Jesus. A large crowd followed him because they saw 
the signs that he was doing on the sick. They saw the miracle of Christ. Yet now when we come to verse 30 itself, they're asking for more signs as though the previous signs has not been enough. Why do we not see these mighty works of Christ? Where has he shown these signs? Where are they doing? Signs are so significant for their office, for their undertaking. And they have been fed by Jesus by a sign, through a sign. They do not recognize it. They choose to see. They were so blind and they were so ignorant not to see it. So blind to question whether it is bidet or no. When the sun shines in their faces, it's right in front of them and they dare to ask this question. It is a great tragedy. And it's a great tragedy today. People are willing to believe that the world is a mystery. It came by chance. It came out of nothing. No thing. Absolutely a mystery to all of them. They were willing to believe in that. To believe in a creator who created the world in seven days. They are willing to accept lies than to receive the truth from the scriptures. And this is the world that we live in today. The heavens declares the glory of the Lord. But yet, people are foolish, so blind that they do not wish to see it. Miracles are around us. God's work are around us. Are we so blind not to see it? Are we as Christians even so blind not to see it? Many of us Christians would rather believe in science than to believe in scriptures. We'd rather have proof by science than by the scriptures itself. Where is the authority of the word of God? Where is the authority of the word of God? If you are not willing, if people are unwilling to believe in Christ, their heart is so hardened. Even if Christ does a million miracles in their life, they will reject him to their death. If a, if a person was more than willing to come to see Christ, to receive him, to listen to him, no miracle is needed for him to come to Christ in the first place. So it's time for us to think about this also. You were right. Jesus did so much for them even to feed them. We choose to be God. What about us as Christians? Look back into your own lives, how much God has provided for you, even to a point that God has provided you parents, that you are able to live in a family. Even if you are not able to live in a family, think about those people who have helped you out in your own life. Is it not divinely ordained that God has placed them there in your life for a purpose? Are those not enough signs that God has been good to you God has blessed you throughout your life. And yet we choose to rebel against Him. And we choose to ask, where is God? How is He good? How can He be good? It's a fundamental question we as Christians need to ask ourselves today. What have we done in return for the goodness that God has provided for us? What works have we been doing? Have we been doing it on the basis of faith towards Him? 
or has it been done in vain towards God himself? So with that, I will end our session today. I really want I really hope that we can go back and think about these things. Look at the crowds. Look at Jesus' reply and look at the crowds questioning towards Jesus. This reflects so many of us today. Even as Christians, we have this kind of questions. But yet Jesus is patient enough to answer us these questions that we ask. Jesus is more than willing to forgive us for his iniquities and our sins towards him. So with that, I will end us off here. I hope that we can go back and really think through about these things. Are we like this crowd? Or do we think we are better than them? Can I have teasing to close us in prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing us to come here and learn your word. May you um, continue to teach us so that we may be able to leave out all these things that we have learned. Help us to um, be able to understand you in the right way so that we can do things that are pleasing towards you. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. Amen.